Hello and a very warm welcome to podcast series Trash Treasure with Joanne and myself Umi. The idea behind the show is we speak to our resident artists about their backgrounds and work. And in each episode, the discussion continues on our artist's relationship with materials as well as celebrating trash as cultural meeting point. So sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Welcome back everybody. Um, in this episode, Joanne and Caroline, including me, uh, three of us will be talking to um, UK artist. Her name is Caroline Hyde-Brown. Um, her creative practice seeks to understand and listen and to take time to build and develop a trusted relationship with the transient beauty of our natural resources. Um, she tells stories to through the extraction of color from homegrown flowers and foraged wild grasses. Her pieces echo the ephemeral fragility of our limited natural resources. In 2021, uh, she graduated and got her master degree um, and embraced the slow transformation and construction of visual narratives gained by exploring traditional techniques such as hand embroidery, knit and weave. Um, identity, place and environment all provide an emotional response to change and influence which in turn questions and redefines moments in time. That is a very interesting narrative. Now Caroline, can you share what do you mean by these three element? identity, place and environment. Hi, thank you. Thank you, Umi. And thank you, Joanne, as well, for giving me the opportunity to um, to chat with you today. So um, firstly, I'd just like to say thank you. Um, so identity, place uh, is quite an important part of my practice because I look at identity in several different ways. Um, I look at identity as part of cultural heritage. I look at identity as part of the um, place as well. So it's sort of part and parcel of place and environment. Um, and I tend to observe and um, look quite deeply at different seasons and natural uh, phenomena, I suppose, that occur within the natural world when I'm walking. Um, so walking is quite a big part of my practice. Um, and I think the heritage side of things within identities and cultures and traditions play quite a big part um, within my processes, if that makes sense. So they're all kind of intertwined with each other. Um, they're not separate but they are, um, they sort of form part of a bigger picture, if that makes sense. Hi, Caroline, that sounds wonderful. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I feel like I can relate so much to that idea of those things interweaving. Um, has it always been like that for you? And, you know, since, since we're talking about, you know, your practice and all, could you also share a bit of your scope of work maybe and, whether you've had any formal or informal training in your art practice. Um, have you always been making art or was this something that came to you later in life? Uh, 
Um, no, I've always been making art. I mean, even when I was um, when I was younger, even at school, um, primary school, I was always drawing, always collaging. Um, I started weaving when I was at primary school. We had, um, I was very lucky. I had a, a sewing teacher called Mrs. Poole and um, I've never really forgotten her because she started me um, sort of basic weaving. So I suppose I was really lucky in that sense that I um, had a sort of, I was able to go to a school where creative needlework and the arts were, were quite sort of um, looked upon as quite an important part of the um, of my young you know my young education um, and then when I went to secondary school it um, continued so uh, I did art GCSE and art A level um, and I looked at history as well at A level so in terms of my art I suppose my history and um, and my art training, I did a, a, an extra GCSE at, as well at college in fashion, because when I was at college, I decided I wanted to be this um, amazing fashion designer, which didn't, <laughs> which didn't really happen. But, um, but my art practice has changed a lot over the years. I've had to adapt it to various sort of um, times in my life where certain circumstances have um, have sort of stopped me doing it as intensively as I'd, I would like. So I suppose the whole journey, my whole art journey started very young and then continued all the way through. And then when I, when I finished college, I decided that I would do, um, this was sixth form, I decided I wanted to do fashion design. I remember having a fashion show at college and I looked at the 60s and I had friends and they all dressed up in all these um, sort of like old, old costumes and we had an amazing time and I thought it was just all going to be really fun <laughs> to do um, a BTEC, uh, which is a, I think that stands for business technical education certificate so it wasn't a degree it was um, sort of classified as a vocational qualification in those days and I did that at Southampton and that was a two-year um, BTEC and I absolutely loved it but um, I wasn't so much uh, sort of I didn't really enjoy the pattern cutting and the technical side of, of fashion and um, when I finished, I started working in London quite quickly. I, I sort of went straight from my BTEC to London and I, I ended up sort of working in a, um, for a company called Gable Clothing Design Company in Camden. And it was owned by the Sears Group who owned most of the high street. It was a huge kind of chain of um, shops, as we know today, like um, Dorothy Perkins, the Burton Group, a top shop. Um, there was Wallace, quite a lot of the shops um, by that name have actually don't exist anymore. There was a shop called CNA um, and I just really didn't enjoy it. It was too fast. It was really high paced. It was really demanding. And I just felt that I was just on this treadmill of churning out print designs. Um, it was good for my drawing skills because nothing was digitalized in those days. Um, but it was just not really what I wanted to do um, in terms of the, I could see from the from an industry point of view that it wasn't really um, suitable. So 
my tutor had said to me, why don't I think you would be more suited to textile design? Um, so I decided to kind of do it the long way around. The government back then had still still had a grant um, for, for, for you to do a degree. Although it was a really small grant, I, it enabled me to not have to pay for my tuition fees, which was really important. So I moved to Nottingham um, and I got a couple of jobs, you know, part-time jobs to kind of uh, sort of support myself financially and I did a degree in textile design and that was from that was in the early 90s and that was from 92 to 95 um, and Nottingham then I think it still does had uh, specialism areas that you could do in print knit weave or embroidery um, and although I tried I tried all, all of the specialism areas I decided to just concentrate on embroidery so um, in 95, I finished my degree and, um, in embroidery and I just kind of started temping, started doing uh, all sorts of part-time jobs and um, built up my, my art practice quite gradually over probably about 10, 15 years. Um, so my freelancing started straight away. And in those days, you would just write off to... Um, shops and send them visuals you know uh, images of your work and i started i was lucky i started working for liberty in 96 and i worked for them for about seven years they had an amazing shop in the um, regent street store in the bottom on the on the sort of ground floor called british craft and i was able to supply them um, monthly with pictures really for about seven years and then that helped me build up my art exhibitions and my teaching um, so it was all sort I had like a portfolio career I suppose you could call it um, of doing all sorts of things just to support myself financially so it was good but it was busy really busy <laughs> yeah it sounded very busy and it's really very very interesting that you jump uh, from being a fashion I mean you studied um, doing a fashion design and then you find your new interest on textile and then you specialize in embroidery so what makes you choose embroidery um embroidery i think because way back when i had started sewing when i was young both um i mean i never sadly i never met my mum's mother but sewing has been quite an important part in our family um tradition uh, my my father's mother was a really skilled tapestry needlewoman, and um, she also did some beautiful, beautiful cross stitch pictures. I've got pictures at home of her tapestries, and um, and my mum's mother, I believe, was a lace maker, and also made all their clothes. So I think traditionally our family has got quite um, a strong sort of background and tradition in sewing. So although my immediate family um, don't do any, I think I just kind of adopted that um, sort of tradition. And I remember, you know, even through my art GCSE and my fashion design, I was always wanting to embellish my fabrics. I always ran out of time. I didn't enjoy the technical sort of um, doing pockets or zips or hems or, you know, that side of it. I was constantly working with just calico twirls and, and garments and shapes. And my fashion illustration wasn't that 
good. (laughs) (laughs) I always struggled to draw the feet or the head or, Mm. you know, so I just felt really frustrated. And I thought if I didn't take that opportunity um, then, I wouldn't really have that opportunity again. Uh, So I suppose I just sort of followed my gut, really. But that that legacy of of seamstress and people who are you know playing using the needles and you know just being creative in general i think that's a ma- an amazing uh heritage to come from mm. um I, i'm also just a bit curious because it sounded as if you started um I, and, I, and i might be jumping ahead of myself but hearing mm. about your the beginning of your career and it sounded like you started right off into fast fashion and mm. into something that was very commercial um and do you do you feel like that has had any impact uh, on your perspective now on sustainability and on the environment? Yes, yes, it did actually. And I think I think I realised very quickly. I'm quite sensitive, and I think the um, I can remember just sitting there, and the buyers would come in to our office in London, and everything was very very fast paced. Um, it was different back in the 90s, the early 90s. I remember I was living in Feltham and I was catching a train into London. It was taking me you know, several hours to get there each day there and back. And it was also a time, um, I think the world forgets sometimes, but there was quite a lot of unrest in the UK and there were quite a lot of bombs going off on the tubes. Uh, on the underground and I can remember having a particular day where it took me four hours I think to get into work and I remember just sitting there on the way home thinking this is just not what I want um, I don't want to spend the rest of my life just you know sort of working in this industry I think um, even back then sustainability was always in the back of my mind I, I, I'd never come from um a particularly I don't know how to describe it but I've I've been brought up to be quite frugal um and be quite quite uh sort of saving of everything you know waste was not something that my mother would um would particularly enjoy like even with our food our clothes um I come from quite a large family so I think maybe in the back of my mind um it was there it certainly wasn't like a, you know, waste and sustainability wasn't the most, um, wasn't the decision for me to give up the fast paced industry. It was more the nature of the industry um, in terms of the characters that worked within the industry, dare I say it, and the, the nature of the, um, of the deadlines and the fast paced kind of hectic, constant want, want, want. Um, and I think if you watch the video of Alexander McQueen and you watch like any kind of um, sort of programs about the fashion industry during the 90s, you probably realise it was a very different industry to what it is now. Um, and lots of things happened that may have had an effect on the way that I worked um in terms of my working environment as well so yeah I, th- I think there's all sorts of reasons but not just one it's never you know it's never just I, I when I think back over the years I'd, I can't say that it's ever just been one thing that I thought nope 
I've had enough. It's always been a combination of, of factors. Um, does that does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. And yeah, I kind of agree, kind of agree with you more on that. I think it, it really just takes um, a collection of things. And, and sometimes you, you just have to trust yeah. your gut, don't you? You just have to yes. know that there is a time in, you know, there's a time for everything and there, there is a moment where you feel like you have to just yeah. move on to something else. Definitely. Um, yeah, and I, I feel like it's never something, uh, one, one, no. one full thing, is it? No. Mm. Um, so you've, you've talked about like your work right now and I've, do you mean to say that it's slowed down a little bit or it's changed a lot right now? So do you think you could tell us a little bit more of that? Um, how, do you, how do you work now in your art practice? And you know, oh, yes. tell, us, yeah. tell us more about your studio setup and you know, the things that you, you like, you enjoy working with. Yeah, for sure. I, yeah, it's changed um, massively. Um, it's changed even a lot since I relocated to Norfolk, which was 10 years ago. Um, my career before I had my daughter was really busy. Um, you know, it was very, it was very much portfolio career, which I think I said, um, which I mentioned briefly. So I did a lot of different things. I did a lot more traveling, um, and the traveling kind of influenced my practice at that time as well. And even working for the high street, you know, working for the trade, as I called it, um, that influenced my practice. I was working to tight deadlines. So now is it's totally different. Um, we, I made a conscious decision actually in 2002 when I came back from Japan that my practice was going to change in terms of the deadlines that I was having to work to. Um, because I didn't feel as fulfilled as um, as I wanted to feel because I felt like my work was moving in a direction where I was just working to the deadlines rather than actually concentrating on my creative practice and, um, and my own journey, you know, um, from a personal point of view. So so when we, we moved here um, after my daughter was born because we actually came on holiday here and literally just six weeks later we were here so it was a very spare of the moment decision to move you know you know to a rural county um whereas before I was living in town and in Southampton and I was doing a lot of traveling into London and things but um but yeah moving to Norfolk has and living where I live now has had a, a, a massive impact on my practice I had a career break um, for about five years after my daughter was born. So from 2010 to about 2015, I didn't work, um, which again, I found, I, I did find that quite hard, but um, I'd, we'd sort of made a decision that I wasn't going to go traveling and do as much um, as, as much work because I needed to be at home with with Evie but um, so so that slowed me right down and I think it gave me time to reevaluate um, what my creative practice was about it gave me just a different headspace um, if that makes sense because it just it, it was almost it was forced upon me because my daughter was born with a medical condition but um, you know, so I, I, ideally I would have liked to um, work part time, but, you know, that wasn't meant to be. So, um, so yeah, so from in during that time, it, 
it did it just helped me refocus reevaluate and just look and spend time in my natural surroundings so the environment that i was living in um, and still am the farmland and the outdoors became a massive part of my life you know i used to just take evie in the pram for long walks and um and and just even in all weathers you know um, I would go out because I'd need to just get out and and uh, and walk. So, so yeah. So it slowed down massively, um, and that's changed. That's changed my my opinion on my textile practice, and it's um, it's it's just it's it's hard to put into words sometimes. But each day I kind of wake up and think, oh, I'll try that, or I think. Sometimes, though, it can be a double-edged sword. You know, you can have too much time to think. And sometimes I think if you don't have, you don't spend time with people that are like-minded, that can affect your practice because you become almost a bit too deep in your own thoughts. Mm. Um, So sharing and collaborating since I restarted work has been really important to me. So I think it's made me appreciate collaborations and um, contact, you know, social contact a lot more. Uh, whereas I used to, might, I might might have taken it for granted before. Well, I can relate to, um, you know, when I um, describe about your work and what you do, um, these three, three elements about you, identity, place, and environment. Now that you explained about your traveling, about your experience working in big cities and you moved to you know, smaller cities and town, I think that is also one of the reasons um, you actually evolve and you transform your work from fast to slow mid-process. And yeah, yeah um, when we talk about this project, particularly about um, Trash Treasure, um, all of the artists, all of eight of us, uh, were s- supposed to work with waste materials. And um, well, can you share with us um, first of all um, the trash or the garbage or the it- items that you collected? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I mean, when we first started, Umi, I remember mm-hmm. our conversation in Norwich um, mm-hmm. when we were talking and I was quite, I was sort of a bit bemused by it because I thought, well, is this as sustainable, sustainable as it sounds? And um, I kind of thought about the truth and how to be truthful to my materials because materiality and process and um, the sort of the iterative process of sampling, it runs quite deep in my practice because I've always worked like that. And I think that probably goes right back to my fashion training where I would have to sample and work to, I would, I work, I can work quite quickly if I, mm. if I need to. So, you know, so I'm quite aware of deadlines and things. So, um, so that's good in some way, but in others it can be, again, it can be a bit, a bit, um, bit of a pain, but um, yeah, I, I think in terms of um, what you said about the trash to treasure, mm-hmm. I wanted to take that um, that phrase quite literally. So when I came home, I remember looking up the word trash because in Britain, trash is an American word. Mm. So um, in the in the British kind of sense, I suppose in the Oxford Dictionary, 
trash would be referred to as an Americanism. So it would be an American mm. phrase rather than we in Britain, we would look at it as rubbish. Rubbish. Um, yeah yeah so it kind of it, it interested me that the word trash was used because it is quite american um but <laughs> i so i i kind of came home looked up the word trash and then looked at how the literal meaning of trash is in terms of something that's thrown away or discarded useless there was loads of different words and meanings um, not meanings but words for mm. trash and then I looked at the word treasure and it reminded me of how with my textile work, I always, I think it's just that designer head that I have on um, most of the time and the sort of the um, sales elements, you know, the business side of my brain that mm. um, still does exist. <laughs> yeah. A whole bit, a bit, um, yeah, a bit rusty, but um, where I try and make something quite beautiful. I like, I like recreating something and changing it and embellishing it. Um, I love I love that kind of metamorphosis of materials from something quite uh, small and insignificant to something quite precious. So the treasure word really interested me. So I wanted to take that that um, that title quite literally um, forward. Speaking about waste, a lot of um, words that relate or an object an idea I can relate to the word waste is of course a discarded material um, unused item thrown away items stuff like that um, but being um, as a textile artist focusing on embroidery specifically um, how can or how do you define the perceptions or your idea behind waste yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I mean, when initially when I started, I was quite um, I was a little bit anxious as to what I was going to choose, um, how I was going to collect, um, you know, on a day to day basis. What do I have? Um, so I remember looking in my bins. I mean, we're, I'm really mindful of what we throw away anyway. And with the um, I think I've become increasingly conscious over the last year two years three years four years of what we actually produce in terms of waste in our house um, as a family so I do tend to collect and hoard bits um, I have got I have got quite a collection of things that people might not necessarily view as being um, treasures uh, so I'm very used to foraging for plant material and I, I try to kind of look at the foraging side of um, plant material as relevant to foraging for trash, if that makes sense. So um, so I started off by, by looking at um, the things in my cupboard, in my kitchen, at, at work, at school, and I noticed that the children all eat packets of crisps. Um, and we as a family, my partner, you know, my other half, he loves crisps. Evie loves savoury crisps. And the more research that I did on the crisps, the more information I got about how massive it is in, in Britain. And we are, you know, the biggest nation eating crisps. Crisp eating nation, um, second to America, which is mm -hmm. quite incredible considering the size of um, the UK. So I thought, in terms of being able to send 
and it being light I wanted to consider something that wasn't particularly heavy because I didn't want to think about the weight um, I was conscious of the flight you know the cost um, so the sustainability aspect of my of the waste foraging I suppose was there were several things that I wanted to consider before um, before sort of jumping in and just choosing something quite random um, so the crisp packets became quite an quite <laughs> quite an important part as you know um, and I I don't know I suppose I wanted something quite lightweight because I didn't want a material that uh, I, di I didn't really want to send a material that I would struggle with mm. so I suppose I put myself in your shoes as well and in the guy's shoes where you know in Malaysia where they're sort of if you send something too heavy or too mm. thick it might be difficult to manipulate you might have to use heat or water or whatever and then you'd be using other resources mm. to uh, create art so I, w I wanted to send something quite light and and uh, fairly easy to to um to work with that's so exciting um I, I think I could just share now to the listeners um, who are who are tuning in right now to the podcast when it's when it's being launched. Um, when you when you Caroline when you sent over the crisp packets and the myself and the Malaysian artists gathered to look at it, I think we were very intrigued and also very <laughs> excited because okay. yes yes it is it is you know it is as you said you know crisp packets and while while we have a lot of those here in Malaysia as well, there were just so many uh, distinct differences in these different um, packages. Um, we were just discussing about it in our last conversation and we were just saying how um, the materials just feel different in the sense that it's thinner and it tears a lot easy, easily mm -hmm. compared to the mm -hmm. ones um, here in Malaysia. And mm -hmm. I think we were quite also quite excited to see the different flavors that were available, <laughs> and you know it just shows a completely different uh, culture. Yeah. So it's quite interesting yeah. um, also to yeah. talk about culture through crisp packets and even through the flavors <laughs> that are available yeah. um, only yeah. in the UK. And then you know I th I'm pretty sure that we have some things uh, here that you wouldn't be able to get over there. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah, it is interesting, isn't it? And I think. I think what's fascinating is even you know you can even reveal your cultural identity through the crisps that you eat. <laughs> because, oh, absolutely, um, absolutely. Because Plus, you were just talking about the different um, pre your preferences in your household, and I think that yeah. that differs from say your neighbor or even from Umi and myself. And yeah, yeah it's just so interesting yeah. to draw that narrative out. Yes, yeah, and I think from a marketing point of view, obviously, there is a certain element to it where people think, oh, it's it's all a bit predictable, but actually, mm. you know, and maybe I'm looking too deeply at um, these crisps, but it was interesting when I uh, was looking at the biocompostable, um, you know, crisp packets that the uh, the company did in Herefordshire and their flavours really reflected their the place their place mm -hmm. and their identity you know woodland mushroom flavour um, it reflected the farming calendar reflected the seasons mm -hmm. the weather um, it wasn't just you know a packet of crisps <laughs> so it's yeah it is it's very much like that um, and it's it's fascinating I find it fascinating anyway um, 
Yeah, speaking about this, I mean, like, it, it just caught my attention and ideas about, you know, we talk about, um, you know, like all these circular practice um, as a designers, um, artist, and I wonder, like, every season, the crepes flavor change according to the season, then that might change the perspective of consumer buying crepes. So they will appreciate more and they will just buy crepes according to the season that they like. Maybe might help reducing the waste issue, I guess. Yeah, yeah, you never know. I mean, consumer, <laughs> yeah, consumer buying mm. and um, the relationship between the consumer and the buying process is, yeah. is, is a major um, consideration. And I think we're all kind of being um, told to consider buying local, buying independent, buying small, you know, not, um, and to buy uh, sort of more seasonal vegetables, more seasonal seasonal fruits mm. and so forth. So, yeah, I mean, even you could take that right right through the food um, chain, I suppose, and, and, <laughs> and look at all avenues of uh, produce. Um, so yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it's, yeah, but it's not it's not an easy task to do. It's it's going to be a major changes in the industry in a global. <laughs> well, um, speaking about waste, and I mean listeners are by now aware that actually Caroline chose Crips packet to be sent over to Malaysia. Caroline, what did you pick? The trash is coming from Malaysia. Right. Well, I was sent um, some beautiful fabric remnants um, that uh, I've been told are some of them are Indonesian, some of them are Malaysian. Um, they are absolutely beautiful, very decorative, very colourful. Um, and when I received them, I was yeah, I was just like um, having Christmas all over again. So, <laughs> so yeah, I was really really thrilled with the scraps and remnants of fabric um, and. Uh, when I spoke to Joanne, I think it was um, they were from bags, I believe, or being, they were um, leftover scraps for making some bags. Um, so that was interesting. So I've um, I've set about using those, and then I was also sent some um, beautiful plastic bags, shopping bags that were sort of around the size, a little bit bigger, about the size between an A3 and an A4 size um, piece of paper. So they were lovely. Then pinks and blues um, and creams. So they're very, very, very colourful. Much more colourful than the colours I normally use. So initially, I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> how am I gonna? Yeah, how am I gonna um, get all these colours to work?" But I left. I left quite a lot of the bits and pieces out. I tend to do that if I'm if I'm a bit bit sort of worried about how I'm going to do it. I tend to leave things out on a table, and then I'll just let let them be and just sort of look at them um, every now and then and pick them up. And I know it sounds crazy, but the more I leave stuff out and just look at them, the more the ideas start to come. It's quite uh, it's not. Um, mm -hmm. And then I I just have to get the sewing machine and just start stitching because otherwise it's just. Yeah, it's crazy how um, how time passes. So, I think it's best just to sort of dive straight in, and and I quite I quite enjoy that process as well, that unknown and the kind of the um, the experimental stage. I love it actually. Um, it's wonderful. Yeah, I I try not to be too precious about things, um, mm. and I've I've learned that if you can just do that and force yourself to do it, no matter how 
how worried you feel or how little time you have, um, things and ideas just start to come. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd highly recommend a play day. <laughs> I'm with you. I, I'm with you on yeah. the idea of, of not having, not putting, taking the preciousness out of materials. Yeah, and I think I think that also just ties back to the resident, the name of the residency. When you know, I think we we were mm. we were inspired by the phrase or the saying, you know, one man's trash is another man's treasure. And, yes, and you know, it's just so so having Faridza's uh, fabric scraps from her bag makings coming over yeah. to you, and you know, to you that feels like some like another Christmas and having a yeah. new gift. Yes. Which is, yeah, which is exciting, and likewise for us to receive uh, the gifts from from the UK. I think we could hardly call them trash, really, because we see opportunity no. in creation in them. Um, yes, but then tell us more about um, the experiments that you've done with the bags. I know we've had this conversation uh, just recently, but you know, indulge the listeners. Tell us what you've been up to. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I. I mean, I've had. Um, I, I, I think I said, and I'm quite iterative, so I like to sort of sample, um, and I'm really into materiality and process and fiddling and just kind of just um, playing with materials. Um, I like looking at different processes that I can use the sewing machine uh, for. So as in like free machine embroidery um, and hand embroidery. Um, I, I've got a very small, like a six inch mini loom. so. I, I um, threaded up uh, a sort of my, my loom and um, I did some basic, you know, weaving, um, simple weaving techniques with the crisp packets. So it's basically going to be um, a, a sort of a selection of cutting, sewing, folding. Um, I've just uh, sort of had quite a bit of fun with my daughter doing the um, using a combination of the Malaysian fabric remnants and the plastic bags and doing some iris folding, uh, which really interested me. I just came across that on a television program um, recently, and it's a bit like you work to the template and you just fold, you cut strips and then you fo um, fold them lengthways and then arrange them in, um, in a pattern. And it interested me the terminology of the iris in the middle of the pattern because that um, originally uh, reflected the camera lens and I knew that Fariza and Abdul are quite a, a really sort of quite experienced digital artists so I thought it'd be quite nice to share some of the imagery and then they could manipulate it in some way. Um, so moving forwards, I think it's quite an exciting phase that we're in because we can just collaborate and bounce ideas off of each other um, and really recreate and breathe new life into these pieces. It's, um, yeah, a good place, good place to be. But um, have you ever considered waste material as things to work with your art? Um, not, definitely not plastic um so all plastic bags i haven't worked with plastic bags i haven't worked i've worked with um fabric remnants before um i tend to not buy a lot of new fabric anyway i've got a stash of fabric and if i'm going to be embroidering or um doing some hand embroidery or beading or whatever then i tend to use sheeting um cotton sheeting that i buy from a charity shop and they tend to come in huge 
you know, big, large. Um, so I use bedding sheets primarily for most of my dyeing um, and sewing now. So, yeah, so I haven't actually bought a new piece of fabric for a long, long time. But um, I have I had never worked with plastic bags, plastic um, crisp packets before. So it was it was really exciting to try and a bit nerve wracking. <laughs> <laughs> is, there, is there any difference in terms of the textures, the feelings of man-made item compared to um, organic oh, yes. material? Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, I mean, the plastic bags feel quite material-ish, so they feel quite soft um, and malleable, especially after um, I folded them and cut them into strips. They're really nice to work with. What I am surprised about is how nice the crisp packet is to work with in terms of stitching. Um, I have quite a good knowledge of machine embroidery um, in terms of needles. So I chose a ballpoint needle to work with, which is quite a fine tip needle. Um, a lot of free machinists don't use um, sort of ballpoint needles, but I tend to use, I, because it was foil, I wanted to use the ball top, ball, sorry, ball, ball tip needle or um, wing tipped needle or a needle that coped with metallic thread because I was stitching onto a foil coating so my needles in my sewing machine are quite are quite fine and quite sharp um, so I needed to consider tearing and whether I would break my needles but um, no it worked it worked like a dream actually um, so that was surprising really surprising so it's it's really it's quite a journey of discovery really at the moment it's great <laughs> and do you you know can you tell us more about the experiences or you know have there been any experiences in your previous um you know in your previous time in your work or any time in your career that has um you know influenced you maybe in this idea of reusing or mending uh, materials yeah yeah, there has. There's been several moments, I think. Um, I mean, times where, you know, where I haven't earned a lot of money, so I've had to live on quite a small income. So that has influenced my practice and really made me think about simplicity and stripping things back and not um, sort of working to... Uh, I've, sustainability is really important to me. Um, I think the time, probably the most, uh, the biggest time of kind of consideration about sustainability and self-care was when I was working in Japan and I lived over there for a while, worked for a company called Takashimaya who are like the equivalent of a John Lewis store in the UK. Um, so, and because I was really, I mean, the Japanese for me are, um, you know, it's deeply rooted in their culture about um, how to live sustainable, it's just, sustainably and they have a wonderful um, way in which they blend old and new cultures together and they tend to have this real harmony within their culture and their traditions where they can adapt um, to the old and the new. So I think when I returned to the UK I definitely made a conscious decision to live a lot simply a lot more simply and especially when we relocated as well to the countryside um we live quite simply we have <clears throat> we're lucky enough to live in um uh we decided after we bought our thatch cottage that we would move to 
a more sustainable building. So our house, we have an irrigation system. Um, we have a well in our garden. Um, so we don't use any excess water when we water our plants. We have solar panels on the roof and we have an underground heat source pump. So our heating is, is, um, is pumped up from, from the ground. So we're very lucky, we've, but we've made that conscious decision to have, um, to live quite sustainably. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of like a, a whole circle of, of a way of life, really. Out, out of curiosity, did that, mm. did that change in your lifestyle? Or did it take a lot of time to get used to or was it something that you adapted to very easily? Um, no, it probably has like happened very slowly. And I think you have moments in your life where you think things need to change and things happen, you know, whether it's in work or um, personal circumstances. And this is why I think I go back to the place, the identity and the traditional craftsmanship and things, you know, the considerations that I've and the influences on my practice. And I think there have been so many, but no, it hasn't taken us long. We've been, we've lived in this house now for four years and um, it did, I mean, I must admit, I did miss living in a chocolate box thatch cottage. <laughs> it was so beautiful, but it was so cold and we were spending a lot of money on oil. Um, it was a 400 year old cottage. It was very, drafty and um we just didn't have the money to keep it going um we have a you know the insurance was really high um because my partner is self-employed as well so he works from home and we just needed uh, a building that although it was it was new it just we just lived, needed to live um more financially you know become more financially secure um but it's it's nice. It's warm, <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's that's really very tasty. important, I think, <laughs> yeah. especially in yeah. this time of year. Yeah, 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 yeah. it is, and we don't have to worry about whether we're going to have to spend another six hundred pounds on oil to heat right. our kitchen. You know, um, so I think we worked out when we when we moved here, we save about eight nine thousand pounds a year just in living mm. costs. So, yeah, it was yeah. it was quite yeah. a yeah, yes, that's the right decision to do. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, not, not just for the household, but also for the environment. I think. Yeah. 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 Exactly. yeah. I mean, sometimes I look at the white walls, and I want, I want my thatch cottage back, but <laughs> it's um, you know, we it, it was just a uh, yeah, and just everything really. It's mm. just a lot more economical to mm -hmm. live here. Well, going back to the practice and the yes. craftsmen, the craft things that you've been working on. Well, yes. in the bigger bigger context as a crafters, do you think in the future, uh, crafters uh, can work closely with waste material? What do you think? Yes, yes, I definitely do. And I think it's really positive and encouraging that the Design Museum in London have had um, this exhibition recently, The Waste Age. I haven't been able to go and see it, but um, I know, Umi, you've been to see it. So I think, I think we're moving in the right direction. I think sustainability is a big word. And I think I try to sort of um, think about maybe in a community way, we could all do our bit and try and reduce um, 
our carbon footprint. So that's why, you know, which we're trying to sort of um, do that ourselves. But um, I think moving forwards, artists could and um, do send out really positive messages about how um, we can start thinking and re rethinking and un sort of learning this um, sort of wasteful attitude towards um, trash and and use materials in a really innovative way mm. and i think and i think that is happening um so yeah definitely moving forwards i love that and i and i especially love that i think in your case caroline you're you're taking that experience of your or your background in fashion and applying it to the materials that are new and that you haven't worked with before um i think that i think that is a really exciting thing to look at um, but also, you know, circling back to the materials that you've been experimenting in, and, you know, could, is there any possibilities that you can share with us what you plan to make or what you plan to work on moving forward? Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I suppose because I, um, I'm not quite sure what the end result is going to be yet, but my sort of little plan in my head is that I'd love to see um, I think I'm going to leave the remnants of fabric um, in the six inch embroidery hoops and I'd like to display them in some way so that they could be seen as a an object um, that could teach and educate people in um, maybe different ways of manipulation or um, of using you know particular waste products, materials, um, and, and view them as little sort of treasures or little pieces, memories, keepsakes. Um, and th I'd, yeah, I'd, I kind of see them as being displayed um, as pieces of art. So, um, I'd, you know, I'm sort of going to spend time over the next couple of months just beading and cutting, sewing, and then I'll think about how they're going to be displayed a bit a bit nearer you know towards February but um, I'm just enjoying this sort of experimental stage at the moment um, but that's how I see them as being displayed because uh, I love that cultural blend of craftsmanship traditions identity place and mm. I think it's all intertwined really mm -hmm. um, and that's what makes a piece of art totally agree on this and and you're saying about rethinking um that is a very strong word it's a very important word and i must say today as a designers uh, makers crafters we mm. must integrate and acknowledge um mm. the the technology while also attending to issues of access and waste around us yeah uh, yeah well is this your first time working um, closely with um, international artists? How do you find working with, um, you know, a mixture of different backgrounds from the digital? Some of them, they are illustration artists. How do you find working with all of oh, us? I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, and I know, like, when I met you for a coffee, Umi, I was trying to be really, oh, yes, that sounds really good. And then when I went home, I was so excited and... Um, it's been, well, I, when I left Japan, it was 2002. So I haven't really had the opportunity to work with anybody um, from an international you know, destination 
for years. Um, so I was just so excited. And I think because the travel that I used to do um, influenced my practice and I just love the education side of it as well, the, 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 the coming together, the connection and that sharing of uh, common values as well. I really, I really love that part of the process. So if I can dig out any research and send it through, that for me is, um, is great. So it, it's just part of the collaborative and sharing process. Yeah, I've really, really enjoyed it. It's been fantastic. And I think it's safe for me to say on behalf of the Malaysian artists that we've completely enjoyed your sharing every time we've had like group conversations and sharing sessions. Oh, because nice. yeah. yeah, you've been nothing but informative. And I think oh, we've all been very excited to see how you interpret the materials and you know how you, how you navigate that research, I think, and how you interpret that, that research into a physical outcome. Like for for me at least, I think it's been very inspiring, mm-hmm. and it's, yeah, and it's definitely been um, a, a motivational for me to keep oh, pushing good. pushing where where yeah. my work wants to go. Good, good. That's important. Yeah, I think I think I always see any collaboration as a real um, two, three, four, five, six way process. I never see it as myself just being at home, you know, working alone. Um, and I think although I can work quite for quite long periods of time on my own, um, I need that social contact. Uh, right. That was one of the reasons that I started my MA. One of the main reasons was um, to try and restart my social contact with people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's been, it's been really, really good. Thank you. Any other questions we want to add on to this, Joan? I think we covered almost all. No, I think, I think we've had... I think we've covered quite a lot. I think there's a lot there's a lot to unpack here and it's been yeah. it's been great having you, Caroline. Thank you for oh, thank, thank you. you for your time and speaking <laughs> with us today. Oh, it's been a pleasure. And I hope that um, you know, in February, um I I will have questions obviously that we can chat mm-hmm. about over yes. Zoom and over our group. But yeah, um it would be really good if we could have a collaboration, you know, an exhibition together. Mm-hmm. It would be fantastic. Absolutely. We, I yeah. hope. I think we're all working towards that goal, and um, you know, external circumstances permitting. We yes. hope to have. We hope to end end this end this residency with a celebratory exhibition. Yeah, <laughs> I think crossed. I think the 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 end of the day, uh, having this residency is not about the outcome. It's not about displaying the the things that we've made. Um, bigger than that to me is uh, having this kind of conversation um, right. you know, um, Definitely. exchanging yeah. ideas and uh, thought process during um, working on the artwork on the material itself mm-hmm. so it's a very good um, platform for us to speak um, not yes. that many it, it, it is good enough it is a good number for us to spark a conversation Definitely. So yeah, um, well, thank you again, and yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, and I hope it's not too late in the in the evening for you. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. okay then. Um, yes, thank you again, Caroline and Joanne. We'll thank see, you. See you again in the next thank episode. You. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye.